Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. This is going to be episode 140. And it is a ride cast. I will be talking about my Canadian Shield 1000 attempt. I didn't have time to finish the whole thing, but I'm going to get into that. And uh, taking you through the ride, the route, and uh, details on what I really enjoy about it and what I plan to change. Before that, let's go with the intro song. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you will be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring and bike packing. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring or bike packing and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you're already an experienced bike tourer or bike packer, I hope that my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show and keep on pedaling. All right, and this will be a ride cast on the Canadian Shield 1000. Um, total distance of the route is actually 991 kilometers with 11,328 meters of elevation gain according to Ride with GPS. It is 28% paved. Now, that also includes about 100 or so kilometers of rail trail that's paved. So, you know, let's say paved roads that you're riding on with cars is probably around 17% or so. Unpaved, 72% or, you know, 83-ish if you're counting uh, the rail trail. So, yeah. Uh, throughout this adventure, I used my Chiru divider with the rigid front fork. 2.25-inch Victoria, uh, Victoria, Victoria Mezcal tires. And some of the things I had on my bike would be the redshift components. I was using a dual-position seat post. And the reason I chose that over the shock stop seat post was because I really like having a forward position on aero bars. So I was kind of trying to decide between suspension or like a changing position on the aero bars, and I decided to opt for that. Uh, whether or not it was the right decision remains to be seen. I mean, uh, 
But you know what? Overall, quite happy with the decision. I was also using the shock stop stem, which gives, I think, about 20 millimeters of travel in the handlebars, which, you know, doesn't absorb huge bumps, but definitely, definitely washboards, small rocks, things like that, small potholes. It just eats them up and saves all that jarring action through your wrists and shoulders and elbows and stuff. Um, so, yeah, just kind of saves the energy. And um, actually... Recently, I think uh, Sofian Sahili on the Tour Divide was using a shock stop stem as well, I think, for that exact reason, just long-term endurance. And as well, the Redshift quick-release aero bars. I mean, they are removable from the bike quite easily. They have a quick-release system. However, I... Actually, did I use a bridge on... Yeah, I have a bridge right at the end where I had my light. So I do have a bridge on it, which makes them much less quick-releasable but I'm cool with that. I just like the position and uh, the comfort of them. I, I previously used, uh, you know, big name profile design, of course, uh, when I was cycling across Western Canada. And I felt that the outside of the arm cups dug into my forearms a bit and I didn't love it. Um, the Redshift ones don't seem to do that to me. I'm sure there's lots of other brands that are just as comfortable, but uh, Redshift did sponsor me. So they gave them to me. So take that for what it is. Grain of salt and all that, but good product. As for bags, um, I've been using Restraps Adventure Race Series bags. So the Aero Bar bag on this setup for this event, I had the Aero Bar bag, a seat post bag, the long top tube bag, the long frame bag, and feed bags. Uh, sleep gear was in the Aero Bar bag. There wasn't much. There was an emergency bivy and a sleeping bag because it was supposed to get down to 10 degrees Celsius. And I figured if I do for some reason need to sleep at night, that might be nice to have a sleeping bag. So there was that. I think I also put in a down hoodie I have, but like not hoodie, but just hood. Uh, but I didn't use it. I also had a couple layers of warm clothes, um, just the seven mesh uh, over like the tights that go over your bib shorts and a merino wool long sleeve shirt just in case I really needed it for some reason. So, yeah, that's that. Rain gear was in the seat post bag, as well as extra clothes. And uh, tools and parts were in the frame bag towards the back, towards the seat post section, uh, leaving some space in the, the fore area for uh, extra food if needed. And then the top two bag had power banks, creams, batteries. Um, didn't bring insect repellent, but uh, maybe I should have because there were some... Definitely I got eaten alive by uh, by mosquitoes the one night. But anyways, um, and then snacks were, were meant to go in the feed bags. So I had a uh, some untapped products um, from the sponsor, 7Mesh. So once again, take that for what it is. I, I did um, actually really enjoy them. Like I often get sick of gels and stuff, but I mean, you can't really get sick of maple syrup. It's just so freaking good. Um one of the things I really liked was the fact that um, the flavored ones, man, like not a huge coffee flavored person. I love coffee, but like coffee flavored gels don't usually uh, settle well. I just don't, they're not, I don't find them palatable usually. Uh, the untapped what was it, coffee flavored maple shot, I guess you could call it, was quite good. Um, I was also slightly starving tired and delirious at that time so uh 
Yeah, it was good. But the one I really, really liked, and I just posted about it recently on Instagram, was the salted raspberry. Uh, I'm a huge fan of raspberries anyways and strawberries and things, and the salted raspberry was fucking good. Oh, man, it was good. Um, So, yeah, if I were to buy a bunch of untapped products, maple shots, um, I definitely wouldn't buy the regular stuff because I make my own maple syrup. But I would go for something like the uh, salted raspberry because it was, it was seriously delicious. And, um, yeah, and if you could find out a store in your area that sells them and you don't believe me, go spend, I don't know what they cost, a couple bucks, three bucks probably, three fifty. Go buy one. Try it. Um, really good. I still have one I haven't used, and that was the Mocha, I think. Anyways, it's in the garage right now. It's going to be coming with me this weekend and getting pounded while doing the eight hours of hurting in Halliburton. So, and I still have a couple waffles too. Um, they're way, like waffle things. Uh, really good. The coffee one actually was really good as well. And it was such a light flavor that it didn't really disgust me. So, um, yeah, delicious. Lemon was a little bit strong for me. Um, not huge on lemon. And then they had also sent me a couple things, which were like a maple aid. And it's like, you add it to your bottle of water some maple syrup mixed with um, one was like a lemon tea maple and wasn't a huge fan of it just because I'm not a massive fan of tea in general. So um, I felt it. I mean, it tasted like lemon tea, but it was just, I wasn't really digging the tea at that time. So it's just something that didn't, you know, if you like tea, you'll probably like it a lot. Um, that's my guess. And then the other one was a ginger maple aid and, it was really good. Like it had just the right amount of ginger bite, you know, that, that whatever you call it, that, uh, kick that ginger gives you. So I enjoyed that one. Um, I don't know if I'd buy a whole box of them, but I'd probably consider trying one or two again, uh, just to, to see how it goes. Um, when I have a few of them and what else in my feed bags, I had, of course, sour candies. I love sour candies. Uh, nuts. It was like a little mixed bag of nuts and dried fruit and stuff. And, you know, the outside mesh pockets of the feed bags, I had some noon electrolytes, but I actually didn't use many throughout the event, uh, throughout my, my time on the bike. Um, probably stupidly, probably should have thrown a few more in my water than I did, but I didn't anyways. So that's that, uh, just to take you through the route. Um, so I planned it. The plan was to ride it at a near race pace. So, you know, minimal stops, uh, minimal sleep, but maybe not quite as hard as if I was racing. And possibly part of that reason is when you're doing an ITD, an individual time trial, it's challenging, man. When you're racing, at least you have, you know, there's people in the field and you know they're being chased and you know that they're out there and you always have a little bit more... Uh, pizzazz you know you're always feeling a little bit more determined and driven and when you're doing an ITT but you know that you're unlikely to even finish the route it's definitely definitely harder to to keep up that motivation and morale throughout the whole time so that was part of it but part of my idea too was to to really um, push my limits try new things one of the big things I've struggled with is eating and drinking enough you know I it's a really, really tough one. And, you know, recently when I was talking to Brooke Smith 
about his BT 700 FKT. Um, you know, he's, he told me he is such a, he's once such a computer nerd, like an IT guy or whatever programmer, I think that he plans out like every stop. And, and, and I've heard this from a few people and I thought, you know what? I'm not that good at it. I, I know I, I can always improve and I got to take some steps. So first thing I did was I set my Garmin to give me food and drink warnings. Now I also set a timer, but that was kind of a waste of time. Uh, it was just annoying me, but the water warning would give you maybe every 10, 15 minutes it would say drink, not even maybe less, maybe 10 minutes, eight minutes. It would just say drink 0.1 of a bottle or 0.1 of a liter or whatever it was. 0.2 of a liter. And, you know, so I just take one or two big mouthfuls every time, uh, with the exception if I was climbing a hard hill and I was winded and I was not uh, able to get down, reach a bottle, take a drink and stuff. And then the same with food. It, it was pretty close to, you know, it would tell you to take in about 100 or so calories every hour. Uh, it would tell you, eat something, eat. And I would grab a gel or take some sour candies or have a few bites of my sandwich or whatever I had in the bag, you know? So um, this was something I put a lot of thought and effort into, into trying to follow this regimen. And I think for the first full 24 hours, it worked really well. Um, I suffered a bit at night. It was, it's really hard to, to eat and keep drinking and eating at nighttime when, uh, when your body's screaming at you to sleep and, you know, you're not quite in the right mindset. I find first night is always really hard too. And then after that, it gets a little bit easier. But anyways, so first day leaving home around 8 a.m. I, um, yeah, it's it's not too long before you're into the trails, before you hit Wakefield. It's really fun though. It's a fun single track section uh, called the Black Diamond Trail, but I wouldn't quite say it's like Black Diamond. Um, I mean, Trail 15 in the Gatineau Park is also Black Diamond and it's not that hard, so... I would take my wife on it. Um, yeah, so super nice trails for about six, seven, eight kilometers, something like that. And then you reach Wakefield. And just before you get into Wakefield, you hit this parking lot. And there's a quick little, you're only about 500 meters away from a Tim Hortons. So I booted it over to Tim Hortons, grabbed some food. Um, as I, I left home, I didn't bother eating. I knew I just wanted to grab something at Timmy's and, and get some backup food. And then, um, yeah, and then it's just gravel. All day gravel, well, not all day, but for another 100 or so kilometers until you get to Mont Saint Marie, where you have some amazing single tracks. So, Lac Fournier, which is the lake at the base of Mont Saint Marie, um, there's a whole bunch of single track trails around it, and you kind of come in off of oh, what's it called, Chemin de la Outoué or something like that. Um, come off the back of um. Mont Saint Marie, and you come into the trails, and it's just super fun. You're cruising around a whole bunch of switchbacks, and nothing too steep. It's it's more of a yeah. You just gotta go do it. It's super fun, anyways. And then after a while, you get to the base of the mountain, and then you got a really big climb, which is meant to be up Radio Tower Road. But for for this day, I decided I wanted to try the Tower of Power, which is a single track climbing route with a shit ton of switchbacks and um, it takes you all the way up to where I was going to go anyways, which is where the lookout is. And just near there is where the entrance is to the trail. It starts to take you downhill. Um, that tower of power was brutal. Uh, do not take it lightly. It is tough. I, I probably stopped now. It could be because I was also tired from 
cycling all day, gravel, and some big climbs on the way into Denholm. But I had to stop a few times and just catch myself, catch my breath because I was just dying. Um, but anyways, when you get up there, you have an amazing view, some great picture moments, a uh, good place to have a snack because there's a picnic table. And and then you're on your way to get ready to start coming down. Well, I mean, it, it kind of ups and downs a little bit. And then eventually, don't remember the name of all the routes, but uh, super good downhill. But it is mountain bike downhill riding and not to be taken lightly so if you're on a gravel bike unless you're really experienced i would recommend you skip this you could take radio tower hill down um it would be a much safer option i would also say that you need to take it slow you know like there are jumps on this thing there's lots of switchbacks don't forget to lean in a bit keep on your brakes um and just have fun because it's pretty sweet. Anyways, getting down to the bottom, you're not too far from the town of uh, Lac Saint Marie, and that's where I had a chance to fill up with food and stuff, knowing that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have a chance to resupply until morning. So I, this was around like 4 p.m. or something, and and I knew that I wouldn't have a chance to resupply until maybe six, seven, eight a.m. So. I got a bunch of food, filled up every pocket bag, everything I could, and uh, got on my way. And uh, ultimately, the reason is because you end up in the Papineau Labelle um, Nature Reserve, and it's just wilderness. I mean, it's just lakes and campgrounds and gravel roads, and they were sweet. It was fast, flowy gravel, a few rough parts, but nothing too crazy. And then there's a section of about 15 or so kilometers of cross-country ski trails, which were a little bit sandy, um, but decent. You could ride kind of on the on the edge of it where it's, you know, grassed and stuff. And then there's a couple, there was, there was one, like the, the last part of it basically was really tough. And it was um, lots of baby head rocks. And sometimes you're going uphill and there's, you're trying to navigate around the rocks, but there's also branches from the trees on the side of the trail kind of reaching out. And, um kind of got to turn your shoulders or duck and stuff like not not big branches but branches enough that you're either ducking from branches or dodging rocks and, and it made it really tough and challenging so i actually found myself doing quite a bit of hike a bike there because it was the only really safe way you don't want to fall there and land on a baby head and break your leg or something you know that'd be terrible and you're in the middle of nowhere with no cell phone signal i did have my tracker though so um, yeah, so I rode the entire night. I was really low on food by the time I got out. And then I was just trying to make my way to La Concepcion, which is, uh, basically where you get on the rail trail, the Petit Trains Nall rail trail. Um, even though there's no food in that area. And I think you're like 16 kilometers to La Belle where there's a place to get food. So yeah, so I got to La Concepcion and I stopped my bike computer and it was about 20 six hours or so into the ride and I'd done 352 kilometers and climbed just about 5,000 meters so before continuing on with the show I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec Canada dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel snow and off-road trails they believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadin Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. 
From everyday rides, bike packing trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Lots of climbing. Um, needless to say. And uh, getting to La Belle, I, I had a chance to, to eat some food. They have a, a washroom there, a public washroom with a shower. And I brought my bike into the washroom and put it against uh, the wall out of people's way and stripped down. And it cost 25 cents for two minutes. So luckily I had one quarter, uh, which is a 25 cent piece in Canada for those international people listening. I had a quarter, threw it in the machine. I jumped in and I kind of rinsed myself off, gave my clothes a rinse, changed up into some fresh clothes and kind of tied my clothes all over my bags to, to dry out a bit. And that was my day. I had a nap, or no, before taking off, I had a nap on a picnic table, just kind of face down on the picnic table, locked my bike up. And um, yeah, I did not get a lot of kilometers in that day. By the time I was ready to go after the nap and everything, it was probably already like 1 p.m. And by like 6, 7 p.m., it was calling for severe, severe thunderstorms. Uh, huge amounts of rain and everything. And so I made the decision as I got up towards um, Mont Laurier that I would just uh, camp. Or sorry, not camp. I would get a hotel for the night and get a proper sleep, clean some stuff up, and be ready to rock and roll the next day. Um, yeah, so all in all, I think that was a good decision because it did rain really hard that night, which also led to like really hard riding the next day because everything was kind of soggy and all the gravel roads were, were like, you know, that slow you down like riding an oatmeal type feeling right so uh, but yeah day two I only rode 116 kilometers climbed like 450 meters or so not anything significant mostly rail trail that's why it was such a little climbing there is a cool little section of um, multi-purpose trails just off the Petit Trains and all that I incorporated into it because I thought you know what rather than just ride on rail trail like let's Get onto some little bit of paved road to get there, but some fun riding. So we did that. I did that, I should say. And um, yeah, so one one thing that caught me off guard that surprised me was um, on the way up towards Mont Laurier. I noticed that, like, well, I wasn't supposed to go to Mont Laurier. I was supposed to go to Lac des Écorces, of course. And uh, unfortunately, the trail that would take me up that way was blocked off by a chain. Nothing, I couldn't get around. But there was a sign that said private property, no trespassing. And I thought, you know what? All right, time to edit the route because, uh, you know, if it was just me doing a ride alone, that's not a published route. I would not care necessarily. I might just go anyways. But when it's published and you're, you know, trying to lead people to a good time, you don't want to put them at risk. So of, you know, anything legal like that. So I, anyways, I decided that I would extend the route to Mont Laurier rather than follow a, a a busy paved road up to Lac des Accords. And by riding the rail trail to Mont Laurier, we also get to ride right to kilometer 201, which is the end of the rail line, which is kind of neat. 
And uh, then you're only about, I don't know, five kilometers or so from where you needed to go in the end anyway. So that was super awesome and fun. And uh, yeah, so the next morning heading up towards Lac des Accors and then you head north and you're on a, an unpaved road and it was great. It's fun. Like super puddly, like lots of puddles, lots of sinky, crappy, you know, ground you have to push through, which is definitely hard on the legs in the morning. But um, I came to a problem. So I've, I've already rerouted the route and I fixed it. I hope I got to get out there now and, and reride that section. But you know, there's some science saying private property, use at own risk. Um, and then there's a sign that says, do not drive your vehicle past here. If you're trying to get to X, whatever lake, go around, um, which is still cool. I'm still riding. And then you get out to the hydro cut and you have the option of going up the hydro cut or to go over this farm fence uh, gate uh, onto a minimally used um, road that's all overgrown. And so I did that, but maybe about 500 meters up. So it's pretty, it's pretty overgrown and all of a sudden it's not overgrown and you're in a big pot plantation. Somebody's growing like 500 plants or something. And I suddenly felt very, very unsafe and decided I should ride faster and, um, yeah, so this non-overgrown road now that seems to be all cleared and stuff, um, they were building a house just off it on the hill, which, you know, good thing it was just being built and nobody was home and living there. And then there was a shoddy gate at the end of the, the quote-unquote driveway, so I kind of let myself out and decided I should probably reroute because the worst-case scenario for me, I, I could just imagine if somebody was riding this and... These guys, I'm assuming guys, people, happen to be there. I don't think model citizens usually grow 500 pot plants, so who knows what could happen, right? And that would be an absolutely terrible, terrible thing. So I've, I've rerouted it through the hydro cut. There's a road and a trail up there and stuff, but I just have to get out there and ride it now. So one more time, heading up there to, to do some riding, but maybe not this fall because hunting season starts and... You know, you just don't want to take chances. So probably in the spring. And uh, yeah, so once you get up there and then some just great gravel, you know, once again, kind of soggy and stuff, but that's just the way it goes. Um, some really good unmaintained roads through um, through like hunting camps and stuff, which is one of the reasons why I, I don't think uh, going up there in September or later when it's deer hunting, bear hunting and all these things is, is necessarily a good idea. And um yeah, after, I don't know how many, 50 kilometers, 100 kilometers, I think, into the day, you reach uh, Montagne du Diable, so Devil's Mountain, which is, what a really cool name. But they have a ton of single-track mountain biking in there. And I think I did about 12 kilometers. It was meant to be 15. I couldn't cross one one of the bridges because it was completely underwater. And I had to backtrack and go down their service road to get towards the the last of the trails. And I think in the end, I rode about 12K or so, 10 to 12. Um, but just amazing, amazing single track. Probably some of the most fun single track on the route. And, and the Mont Saint-Marie stuff is awesome, but this is actually, I don't know which one's better. They're both pretty awesome in different ways. Um, Montagne Diable, much more doable by somebody on a bikepacking setup. Uh, you do a gravel bike. Um, I, was, I mean, I was riding my Chiru, but 
definitely can be done on a gravel bike. Some tricky parts, you might want to just pop off the bike and kind of climb down or whatever. But for the most part, it's, it's just fantastic. And leaving that, you kind of go through some skidoo trails and whatnot uh, that then become shared with trucks, uh, like pickups and uh, ATVs, which is kind of rougher again. And then you reach Windigo Falls or Windigo Waterfalls. And, and then you kind of start heading south. And I've also since rerouted that because uh, I did realize that um, since since learning that you're not allowed to ride where ATVs go, uh, but not remembering that that was the trail there as well. Um, since when I first rode it like a year and a half ago or something like that. Um, yeah, I realized that it's, it's quite ATV-ish and, and probably just not safe in the long run. And so I've rerouted the route uh, once again to, to avoid that. Uh, it's just the way it goes, you know, as you, as you grow a route and try to make it better and better and safer, obviously. Um, I don't mind if somebody feels like riding some crazy gnarly single track and crashes and gets hurt. Well, I mean, it sucks, but not as bad as if you get smoked by an ATV at 80 kilometers an hour. Right. So that's my thoughts. Anyways, ultimately, I reached Grand Remus at around like 1 a.m. I was tired. I was wet because it had been raining for a few hours at that point. Uh, not not like soaking wet because I put on my rain gear, but, you know, just kind of yucky. And and I was really to the realization that, um, yeah, I was getting towards the end of my time riding because I had to start teaching like 24 hours later and going to work anyways. And so I, I found a restaurant along the side of the quote-unquote highway um, that had um, picnic tables and a gazebo that was covered and closed in with plastic and stuff. And that was like the perfect place. So I, I laid my bike down for a rest and I laid myself down for a rest and we slept for about four hours. Making that day about 180-ish kilometers with just a couple thousand meters of climbing. And the next morning, I decided, um, after having a nice coffee break and stuff at the Depaneur, that I would uh, just ride into Manawaki, which is like the last 35K of my route. Uh, not the, the whole route, sorry, into Manawaki. And um, and I'd get my wife to pick me up there since I, I definitely needed to get home and start preparing for school stuff. So of the 1,000K, I think I rode around 675 or something like that. I don't know. Like you could do the math. And, um, yeah, I don't know why initially I thought, yeah, yeah, I could ride a thousand K in three plus days, but you know, and I was kind of surprised at first I, I was kind of a little surprised and shocked and, and saddened that I, saddened that I was like, I barely got through two thirds of it, you know, but I had to keep reminding myself that there was a lot of single track. There was some ATV trails and stuff, you know, that can be quite rough and, and slow going and, um, a lot, some really tough unmaintained roads and loose gravel trails and stuff. And it definitely, definitely, definitely slows you down and makes things slower. And then second to none, and, and probably more importantly, is I did not do nearly as much riding as I would have liked to do this year. Um, you know, initially I thought, oh man, yeah, I'm home. Uh, we have a baby, but she sleeps and I could go riding and I just get a few hours in here and here or there and whatever, but realizing that life is not that easy and it's a it's a really big adjustment when you got a kid at home I um you know so all the respect to 
to people out there who are training hardcore with kids. I've had several guests on the podcast and I have another one coming up. We're going to talk in the next day or so that, uh, that have families and kids and it's an amazing, amazing challenge to schedule training in around a family. And uh, so it's something I've got to work on and improve because I, I do want to keep improving at the sport. I want to race some more stuff and, and be competitive. So I uh, have amazing companies that support me and I love doing this podcast and talking about all these things. And so, yeah, I just got to keep working on it. So it's interesting. Um, it's definitely been a challenging year and I, I look forward to seeing what happens next year. And um, yeah, and so I spent a some couple hours the other night looking over my route and trying to make things better. Um, you know, Canadian Shield 1000 2.0 for, for next year. And um, I hope uh, if you guys like this, I hope you get out here. And uh, if you're not from the Ottawa area, I hope you can get out here and have a chance to ride it. And if you are from the Ottawa area, well, no better time than, uh, well, not the present, it's hunting season, next year. But anyways... That is all. I digress. I hope you guys enjoyed. And uh, if you do have any questions, do reach out and uh, I'll get back to you. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me to keep going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at chris at biketoadventures.com or go to the website biketoadventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and the Touring Tips page. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.